morning. <clears throat> this morning's scripture reading is from the book of Philippians in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Uh, I'll give you a minute to get your Bibles if you want to read along with me. So if there is any encouragement in Christ and comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us, God, so much more than what we deserved. And God, I pray that the example of Jesus' humility, that we would all look to him and follow his example. And God, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what Aaron is going to preach from your word and that we would respond and it would change our hearts from the inside out. I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Chris. Is it on? All right. Good morning, church. I'm glad to be here with you all this morning as we open up God's Word and we get to see and celebrate Christ together. Uh, we have two meaty chapters and long chapters this morning in Genesis chapter 40 and 41. You'll find it on page 39 in the Bible on your chair. Uh, I will try my best to make things simple as we continue our time and worship this morning. As I was talking to Marty this week, I, th I think both of us were encouraged by uh, John chapter 5. And may John chapter 5, verse 46, be an encouragement for us as we open up God's Word, uh, the Bible, this morning. Jesus says, For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. And we will see Jesus this morning, church, especially in our chapters as Moses wrote Genesis. Uh, and Jesus provides eternal life for his people. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we get to gather. God, we thank you that you have given us the gift of your word. You think, we thank you that you have given us the gift of your son. Uh, and through both, we receive eternal life. So would you show us that this morning, speak through me, transform our hearts and conform them more to the image of your son as we worship you. And we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So as I alluded already this morning, God's word, the Bible shows us the word of God, Jesus, God's son, and both lead to eternal life. And so we will see that this morning uh, as we 
are in Genesis chapters 40 and 41. So I'm going to read Genesis chapter 40. It's on page 39 in your Bibles. You can follow along with me. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in the master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? And he said to them, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told the dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded and its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes, Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. Sorry, I lost. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when he, it is well with you, and please do to me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat of the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And so in chapter 40 of the book of Genesis, church, we find ourselves, Joseph being in prison, Pharaoh's two servants are in prison with him, and they have these dreams. And we will see how God uses Joseph's position of privilege to act on behalf of his people. And the rest of scriptures and the rest of God's word are helpful to understand what is taking place here. So in your Bibles, there's 1,189 chapters. Genesis is 50 of them. And so we've spent about 11 months on 4% of your Bible. 
And church, your elders do not expect you to be experts in God's word as we've just studied Genesis alone. But our prayer is that this directs you to a life dedicated to God's word. The early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching in Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to God's word. And God's word does the following, as Paul says to his servant or his disciple, Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And we see this term righteousness in 2 Timothy. And this is a term that has come up in our study in the book of Genesis, even recently with Judah. God's word, church, the Bible, it helps us to see that only God is righteous. When we compare the people of God and we assess the characters of the text of Genesis, it is clear, right, that only God is righteous. And so our text this morning starts where Joseph is finding himself in this jail where he committed no offense. And these two men whom Pharaoh made mad are in jail with him. They're distraught and they have these dreams that they do not understand what is taking place. These men committed an offense against Pharaoh. Remember Joseph's words last week that he did not want to sin so wickedly against God in committing adultery with Potiphar's wife. And this same word is used here where this offense is so offensive to Pharaoh that it has landed these two men in prison. And as you see, the themes of Genesis keep connecting. And reading through books of the Bible, it's useful and helpful to see these connection points. Like Potiphar, who was angry with Joseph. Pharaoh is angry and threw these two men into prison. Joseph just so happened to be here in this prison at this time when these two men ended up there. In verse 8 in the text, it says, Do not interpretations belong to God. And so, friends, this is a pagan culture. We learned in school, right, about the Egyptians with their mummies and their pyramids and with their gods that they worshipped. And interpreting dreams was part of this culture, as we'll see in the next chapter, as well as using magic magicians. All are part of this demonic Egyptian culture. And so Joseph interpreting these dreams is an example of God's word in the Bible being descriptive, not prescriptive. We've talked about this right before, where descriptive is describing what's taking place in the text. And prescriptive is giving us instructions on things to do. And to apply a descriptive text to something that's prescriptive, oftentimes we need the rest of God's word to help us to apply the text. So for example, we see dreams interpreted in the book of Daniel. And oftentimes dreams are related to the redemption history of God's people in the Bible, not about what job to take or what lottery numbers to select on your drive home. Dreams do have an impact, though, do they not? When we have a nightmare, we wake up, maybe a little sweaty, maybe a little fearful. 
When you dream about your teeth falling out, maybe you'll brush them the next morning. I oftentimes wish my kids had more dreams like this for the some of them that need reminders to brush their teeth. I've never had a dream, church, where I woke up from a dream where I wasn't wearing pants going to school and forgot to wear pants to go to work the next day. Dreams have an impact. But we do not need dreams, church, to guide us. We have God's Word. We have the Bible to lead us and to guide us. And I think Jude 8 helps us to remind us of this. Jude 8 says, Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. And so, church, our authority, our guide, is God's word. As Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's not our dreams. This is describing what is taking place for God to move things forward for the promised family that he has chosen. But Joseph, he nonetheless, he interprets the dreams. The cupbearer will be restored. The baker will be killed. And so God's word, the Bible, shows us God's, the word of God, Jesus. How is it that I say that, Aaron? There is what theologians call here in the, these two chapters typology, things that point us to Jesus. To see it, though, we have to know God's Word, right? I didn't notice these, all of these things on my own. Some of them I did, and some of them I used commentaries and other resources to help it. But when God's Word begins to show you these things, God's Word becomes alive, and these connections will give you a great affection for His Word. And we see some irony here. After the cupbearer got his good news that he would be restored, the baker speaks up. Can I take some of that good news as well? And get out of this prison? But we see it did not end up well for him. The cupbearer was restored and the baker was killed. And this reminded me of Jesus on the cross. Maybe it did for you as well. In Luke chapter 23, this took place. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so God's word, the Bible, shows us the word of God, God's son, and both lead to eternal life. The connections with Joseph and the parallels in this scene when, is very similar to when Jesus was on the cross, where Jesus brought one of the criminals with him to paradise and to salvation, and the other one was condemned. But before we move on to chapter 40, notice Joseph's shrewdness. After telling the cupbearer that he would be restored, he said this in verse 14, Only remember me, when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, 
and so get me out of this house. Like the thief on the cross asked Jesus to remember him when Jesus came into his kingdom, Joseph is asking, and Joseph is being shrewd as a serpent, being used by God to counter the acts of the fall. We saw in Genesis chapter 3, where the serpent tempted Eve to sin, and he's redeeming, he's protecting the promised family of God. But Joseph was left disappointed in prison. He's there for two years, forgotten by man, but not forgotten by God. Like God remembered Noah in chapter 8, verse 1. Like God remembered Abraham and Lot in chapter 19, verse 29. Like God remembered Rachel in Genesis chapter 30, verse 22. God will remember Joseph. God remembers his people. God fulfills his promises. He keeps his word to show us, church, that we can trust him. The Lord was with Joseph in the last chapter. The Lord is with Joseph in these chapters as well. God's word, the Bible, it shows us the word of God, God's son. And both lead to eternal life. We'll pick it back up in verse, or chapter 41. Starting in verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, and there was none who would interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me on the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, when he, he, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and clothed them in clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that you, are, you hear a dream and you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And so we saw Joseph interpret two dreams for the two men in prison, and now he interprets two dreams for Pharaoh, the most powerful man living on the, in the world at that time. And these two years has passed, but God remembers Joseph through the cupbearer's memory. 
And Genesis, again, shows us over and over that God is sovereign, starting in creation to even the events taking place today in the text to bless His people. And through this blessing, this promised family of God will be a blessing to others. When Joseph enters into Pharaoh's presence, he rejects flattery that he can interpret dreams, we see in chapter 16. And Joseph reminds Pharaoh that it is only God who can announce any welfare through dreams. As a pastor friend of Marty and I has reminded me that Joseph could have had pride and bitterness. Hey, you remember your guy Pharaoh? He threw me, he threw me into prison unjustifiably. And his wife is even worse. She falsely accused me. And you know what? Your cupbearer, he's got a terrible memory. Please do something about it. He could have gone for a pound of flesh, but he went for a ton of glory to God. And Joseph, again, knows that God is with him. I won't read through the account of the dreams of Pharaoh because it's a almost verbatim summary of what we've already seen. But let's see in verse 25 how Joseph interprets these dreams through the power of God. Church, Joseph trusts God's word, the Bible, because it shows the word of God, God's son, Jesus, and both lead to eternal life. We'll pick it back up in verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh that he, what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. And there will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the, lamb and the, the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed and appoint an overseer over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through famine. God is sovereign over these circumstances. And as we've said before in our study of Genesis, that His wise application of His sovereignty we call providence. It's being displayed again and again. And God is sovereign over everything. He was sovereign over Joseph going into the pit, being sold by his brothers, being in Potiphar's home, being put into prison, over everything. God is sovereign when Trump was president. God is sovereign when Biden is president. God is sovereign over every interstate that is being repaved in Vermont. I understand we want to know in advance when that's going to happen, but God is still sovereign over it all. 
we see some comparisons start to happen here. And that's where an understanding of God's word, again, is very useful. These two dreams of Pharaoh, as Joseph states, show this is established by God. Joseph's family didn't listen to him when Joseph had his dreams. But Pharaoh starts to listen. Joseph was shrewd again, like he was with the cupbearer in his interpretation of the dreams we saw in the last chapter. Joseph continues to be shrewd and calls for some guidance for Pharaoh to appoint an overseer to man manage this coming famine. Joseph was not asked what he should do about the dreams by Pharaoh, but he took an opportunity to give Pharaoh some wisdom. And we see a transition here where Joseph begins to speak in this instruction and in saying, now Pharaoh, go do this. Listen to my wisdom. This term now, as you see in the text, often marks a transition in the book of Genesis between statements of fact and what his, God's people are to do with these facts. Joseph wants Pharaoh to act and it will affect God's people, as we'll see in the next couple weeks. Many of you know I was in sales when I was living in California before I lived in Vermont. And when my manager got a phone call and he got a lead, I was right there listening in the door and say, oh, I would be glad to take that opportunity off of your hands. That's what Joseph is doing here. Through the providential hand of God, Joseph is initiating these instructions for Pharaoh as he uses his knowledge of God's word, the Bible, and takes steps towards eternal life for God's people. Verse 37 starts the process to make it possible for God's people to be saved, as we'll see in the next couple weeks. Let's pick it back up in verse 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you over you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all, all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as God regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all this land. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no one shall lift a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanath paneah and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. As we said last week, Joseph was faithful and little in Potiphar's home, in the prison, and now we will see Joseph will be faithful in much. Joseph will become the second most powerful man to live on the earth at this time. Picking up on the seeing language as we've noticed in Genesis, Pharaoh says in verse 41, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. God's people, as we've seen over and over again in Jesus, are blind to God's hand at work. 
Jacob was unaware that God was with him over and over again until he wrestled with God. But one thing is for sure, Joseph never doubted God's hand with him. And Joseph has always known and he's leveraged the fact that God has been with him to be used by God to bring about the salvation of God's people. And this text again shows us a contrast between Judah and Joseph as we saw last week, where Pharaoh gives Joseph a signet ring, clothing, golding, or a gold chain around his neck. And these items contrast what Judah gave, if you recall, to Tamar to prove that he would keep his promises. But Pharaoh gives these items to Joseph to give Joseph a new identity. And these contrasts all point to Jesus, more of this typology, where we saw that Joseph, or sorry, Judah was not righteous, nor was he innocent. But Joseph is righteous here. He was innocent. In chapter 37, Joseph was clothed by Jacob. He was stripped by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit. In chapter 39, Joseph was clothed by Potiphar. He was stripped by Potiphar's wife. He was thrown into a prison, which we saw in the text this morning, that Joseph calls the pit. And here we see Joseph is resurrected from the pit, clothed by Pharaoh, and will remain second in command with as much power as Pharaoh himself. In reading this in Genesis chapter 41, again, this text is pointing us to Jesus, the Word of God. When Pharaoh asked in Genesis chapter 41, verse 38, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? It parallels in Matthew where the Spirit descends upon Jesus to dwell in him and a voice from heaven proclaim, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Joseph pleased Pharaoh in his instructions. Pharaoh also makes it known to all that Joseph is in charge. Verse 43, And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Joseph points us to the word of God, as we know this is of Jesus, as Chris read for us already this morning. Speaking of Jesus, Paul said this. I'll read it again. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, I hope and pray that you see the value of God's word, the Bible, this morning, as it points to us, the word of God, God's son, this morning, and it leads to eternal life for all of us. I won't read through the end of the chapter, but we see a few more things of note as the people of God are blessed by the work of Joseph on behalf of God's people and would, of course, lead to the Son of God coming a couple thousand years later. 
Joseph, he executes these plans that he came up with. He stores the resources. He's in charge of distributing them. And people are blessed in Egypt. But as the text also says, from the rest of the nations as they come to the land of Egypt. Joseph marries a wife of Asenath is her name, and she is of Egyptian descent. And there's a Jewish tradition, actually, that she renounced her pagan ways and converted to being part of the people of God. And one scholar even says that Asenath is one of the key characters that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, or being a new creation as we follow Jesus. And Joseph and Asenath, they have two children. The first is called Manasseh. He's the firstborn, and it means that God has forgotten my hardship. And we as children of God, through the work of Christ on our behalf, receive a similar name as Manasseh, because our sins are forgiven through the death of Christ. Psalm 103 says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, for, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Church, God forgets our sins through Jesus' payment on the cross for our sins, like God forgot the hardships of Joseph in Egypt. The second-born son, his name is Ephraim. He, his name means that God has made me fruitful. In the midst of a famine and hardship, God remembers. God gives life. God produces fruit. He did this in Joseph, and God does the same in our lives through our faithfulness. As Joseph was faithful in little, he is now faithful in much. And Joseph, even with his Egyptian wife, gives his two sons Hebrew names. He knows his roots, but he also knows his future. And we see in Joseph that years of suffering, years of living in a pagan culture around men and women that do not love God, and years separated from his own family, that Joseph's faith does not grow weary because God was with him. And Egypt reminds me a little bit of our culture, right? And so church, let's be rooted and grounded in God's words so that we will not have our faith harmed and we can follow Joseph's example. Joseph knows God's word, the Bible, and Joseph can see the word of God, Jesus, and he points us to Jesus and his work on the cross for his people, even in the names of his children. And church, it's God's word that points us to the word of God, Jesus, that gives his people, including us, eternal life. Remember the passage that I read 
the beginning in John chapter 5. The scriptures, they reveal to us Jesus as the source of eternal life. In the next chapter, in chapter 6 in John, after Jesus said some pretty hard things for his disciples to hear, this took place. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to his tw the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so, church, the stage is set. The prophecies about Joseph are coming true, and they will come true more and more as his brothers and his family come as part of the nations to Egypt for assistance. And God will providentially use these famines, this famine in the land, to bring this promised family to Egypt so they don't die of starvation. They will come to a place where they sent Joseph to die so that they don't die. Church, when we're in God's Word, the Bible, it shows us the Word of God, Jesus, God's Son, and both lead to eternal life. My family, we just read and finished a biography of Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China in the 1800s. He left everything. He went to China. He learned the language, and much of Christianity and China today is as a result of his sacrifice and his work 150 years ago. He said this of God's word and it directed everything that he did. He says there's three great truths. One, there is a God. Two, he has spoken us to us in the Bible. Three, he means what he says. And when we're in God's word, we will see and savor Christ Jesus. And we will, church, receive eternal life. And when we believe this, church, we will live a certain way. We will love God's word. We will seek to know him more and more. We will seek to tell others about Jesus. And it will teach us, rebuke us, correct us, but most importantly, train us in righteousness. And this should cause us to want to read our Bibles even more, to experience and understand Jesus more and more, to receive eternal life through the Son, Jesus, more and more. And so church, trust God's word. Follow God's Son and receive eternal life through the Bible, through Jesus' work on our behalf on the cross. And our response to all of this should be worship. And so that's what we will do now. As the worship team comes up, we will sing to Jesus because he deserves it. Would you pray with me? Father, we have tasted and seen that you are good. You are a good, loving Father, and you do not forget your children. And so we thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, to raise from the dead, to give us eternal life. God, we want to lift up our voices now to worship you for who you are and what you have done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.